Hey everybody, how's it going? It's another episode of the YM Transfer Podcast and today's guest is Edmund Mitchell. Edmund, how do you describe him? I mean, he is a jack of all trades and a master of many. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on the show is because I'm just amazed by all the different things he's doing from running podcasts to creating videos and content and all doing that while being director of evangelization and catechesis at his local parish. I mean, Edmund is a hard worker. He's a grinder and uh, he is just someone I, I believe that's worth following. And so on today's show, we just we just talk. We, we talk about ministry. We talk about the balance of um, doing the many different things that come alongside of ministry and how he's worked hard to create a brand, not just for him personally, but for the church. So bust out your pen and your notepad and get ready to take some notes because here is Edmund Mitchell. Hey, Edmund, how you doing? Welcome to the YM Transfer Podcast. Thanks so much for being on the show. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm glad I can hear you. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, uh, for uh, those of you who are listening, I had hit record and welcomed Edmund and all of a sudden just uh, he couldn't hear me. So uh, <laughs> always a smooth way to start off a podcast, yeah. you know, a show. And, that, and that's why, uh, and I'm sure there are people who love to hear kind of the the difficulties that go on behind, uh, yeah, behind you keep the it real Chris you keep it well, real here hey I'm just on the floor in my basement yeah. of my house while Edmund's got an incredible backdrop uh, people can't really <laughs> see it but um, you know uh, I've either got the blinds from my office or um, uh, actually one thing I do enjoy where I usually record at home is at my kitchen table because I do not have an office I mean you yeah. know kids right they take over and so I do not have an office so I have this beautiful Japanese uh, painting in the background, and uh, it, so it's something that I, I absolutely love. But um, yeah, That's for awesome. now, it's just a, a plush um, basement sofa in the back. Well, this is the dining room of this house, wow. and we just moved our dining room table to the breakfast nook. And I was like, Danielle, can I please, can I just have one space, just one space? <laughs> it's it's the burden of an entrepreneur, right? Like. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, have you ever, uh, do you guys have uh, incubators uh, down by you in Texas? Uh, like for uh, chickens? Uh, no, 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 no. For uh, entrepreneurs. Like, oh. uh, yeah, uh, where you go and uh, you can't afford uh, to pay for your own office space. So for, uh, you know, a fraction of the cost. Oh, like a co-work space. Kind yeah, of like. yeah, yeah, co-work yeah. space. Yeah, yeah, we call them incubators up here in Baltimore. But, you know. The, That's cool. It's kind of the Northeast. Uh, yeah, the Northeast firm. Yeah. Or I could totally be making it up. And, and <laughs> Northeast is like, what the hell are you talking about, Chris? But, no, but uh, I've, I walk into those spaces and I was like, oh, I just need some cool work environment. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, uh, working on that at the parish that I am uh, currently employed by. But um, it's nothing. It's nothing a quick. Uh, trip to ikea can't fix right yeah ikea and then you know get some uh right now we're painting the walls in a, of our office with a magnetic primer oh and nice we're gonna do, uh, some whiteboard paint over it so that wow. we can draw on the walls um that's super cool yeah and and clean it off so the pastor doesn't get mad. i think the quality of your content your listeners will appreciate the quality of your content is just going to skyrocket exponentially once that magnetic <laughs> primer gets up there well, once it does yeah i won't have to like worry about Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's gonna be excellent. Um, but for uh, those listeners who are not familiar with you, Edmund, why don't you uh, give everyone uh, the brief synopsis, the brief bio of who you are and what you currently do? Okay. So um, I went like a lot of kids, uh, cradle Catholic, uh, went the whole traditional route of like, take a lot of AP classes, get into college. I wanted to make a lot of money and be perceived as really smart. So for me, that turned into biomedical engineering at Georgia Tech. And, um, you know, around the time of senior year of high school, you know, freshman year of college, I was getting really into my faith. Both of my parents were Catholic, but I was really starting to get exposed to like Jeff Cavins and Scott Hahn and uh, honestly, Matt Marr, and then um, some of the Protestant praise and worship, you know, scenes and stuff, and just um, started really getting into my faith. Then at Georgia Tech, get really involved at the Catholic Center. Um, and one of my friends uh, started telling me, we, one of my best friends, Chris and I, um, we started doing a lot of ministry at this Catholic center that didn't have what we were kind of looking for, which is like praise and worship, adoration, you know, uh, evangelical talks, uh, small groups. And so we just started doing it on our own. 
Um, and then the long story short of all of that is I discerned to go to Franciscan University. In fact, the only reason I checked them out was because I was reading a lot of Scott Hahn books and in the back of one of the Scott Hahn books, it said that he taught at Franciscan. So I called Franciscan with my door shut to my dorm, like, you know, kind of huddled in a corner. And I right. talked talk to this admissions counselor and I said, uh, I think I want to be Scott Hahn. <laughs> As if that was like, I was like one of five people in the world that wanted that. And he right. just, he laughed. He said, that's not a major, man. That's not a career path. Um, so the long story short is that I just got really uh, dissatisfied in my heart. Anytime someone said, well, just volunteer at your local church. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just wasn't enough for me. Like I wanted to be really in it. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the best I could in ministry. Um, and I just seeing people offer their whole lives to the church. I knew I didn't want to be a priest, but seeing people kind of like having this professional path in church ministry was really uh, inspiring to me. So I transferred to Franciscan University where I study this weird major called catechetics, which is how to hand on the faith. And I thought I wanted to be a theological scholar. And I took one like principles of biblical studies class. And I was like, no, this is not for me. (laughs) Like, this is not, this is not for me. And, um, but I really fell in love with catechetics. Uh, How do you hand on the faith to other people? And so I ended up going the youth ministry route um, and then met my wife at Franciscan and we got married a week out of college. We ended up in Toledo, Ohio. I wanted to go somewhere that had hardly any youth ministry and learn what it was like to grow it from the ground up. Mm. And I knew eventually we'd end up in Texas and we had a kid every year of our marriage for the first like three or four years. And when we found out we were pregnant with our third, my wife was like, we know nobody in Toledo. We have to move to Texas. Um, So we found a job down here in Texas, did youth ministry down here, uh, hired on a middle school youth minister under me. And then eventually like, because so much of my passion and energy was towards like parish wide vision and how, you know, youth ministry has to sit in a really cohesive parish vision of evangelization. Over time, the pastor was like, well, the K through six person's leaving. I want you to hire that person on under you. And then it was like, well, the adult person's leaving. I want you to hire that person on under you too. And then it turned into this kind of crossroads where it was like, I could either help the parish articulate and form this vision for evangelization and catechesis, or I could be the high school youth minister. But I, I, kept getting this feeling that I couldn't do both, that I was really robbing uh, the teens from a youth of a youth minister and robbing the parish of, you know, all the time and energy needed for articulating department-wide um, that vision. So about a year and a half ago, I, uh, you know, moved up to adult ministry. And so I'm over the Department of Evangelization Catechesis. We have a high school and middle school youth minister and a K-6 through through coordinator. I run the adult programs, but mainly my job is making sure that there's a co- cohesive vision for evangelization and catechesis at the parish. And so I've been at this parish for five years now. Um, and I think this is my seventh year of ministry in the church and it's been a wild ride. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's so cool. Um, especially to be able to recognize all that. Um, Cause I, I think there are many of us who will go through ministry um, in that tension, right, that you were talking about and not being able to uh, make a decision or know that they could make a decision. So um, that, that's definitely cool. Uh, I want to I jump back, though, to something you said about uh, Scott Hahn, right? Yeah. So what, was there something specific that he wrote or that, um, that, uh, that you read or came across that really connected and, and kind of, you know, uh, made you want to be the next Scott Hahn in that regards. Um, what, yeah. what's something of his that particular that sticks out? Well, my dad, I think my junior or senior year of high school, I think it was either Jeff, Ka- I think it was Jeff Cavins came to our parish and did the great adventure Bible timeline, kind of like the oh, yeah. one day yeah. event. And that was the first time. I mean, I knew a lot about my faith. Like I was the nerd. I was treating my faith as a subject. And so in class, I loved having the right answers and elbowing my friends and saying like, say transubstantiation, you'll throw off our volunteer teacher, you know? Right, right. And so the Jeff Cavins thing was the first thing. I mean, it just like blew open. And then my uh, dad, I was dating a Protestant at the time. My dad gave me the Rome Sweet Home book. And I still remember this. We were at the church after the event. He gives me Rome Sweet Home. He goes, give this to your girlfriend, (laughs) you know, like, and uh, I go to my car 
and I start flipping through it and I, I read the back first and then I, I read half the book in my car, just in the parking lot. And I don't know that I ever gave it to her, but I, I think Rome Sweet Home was the first thing. And what I loved about that, I think that if I could articulate the one thing about Scott Hahn was here was a guy who was raising a family and was completely kind of has completely just kind of thrown himself into this life of ministry. Um, I don't think I could have articulated it that way back then, but even today, I mean, people that are focused missionaries or dirty vagabond ministries or anyone honestly that works for a church and has devoted their life to their family being kind of like this mini apostolate in a church and trying to change the culture. I mean, father Mike Scanlon, all these people who are trying to, to transform the culture with their family um, was something that just spoke to my heart. I knew I didn't like we're called to go out and go into the secular world and live jobs and be holy people. But for me, like, I don't know. I just, I just came alive. I had this desire being for being like neck deep in ministry. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like this uh, unapologetic love of uh, what God was calling you into. And, uh, and uh, um, going into, yeah, Ohio. Um, you know, that's one thing we share in common is I went to school in Ohio and it's, oh, sweet. it's, it's hard to start. It's hard to start anything there. Uh, no offense to our Ohioan friends. <laughs> Where'd you go to school in Ohio? Uh, Xavier uh, nice. in okay. Cincinnati. Okay. Jesuit University, you know, they ruin yeah. you and, and everything like that. <laughs> you have to get some good direction with that. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's for me, I've always been um, enamored by the men and women who see that path for ministry, especially since I was someone who um, accidentally fell into it. Um, in the sense where I needed a job. Um, I needed any kind of job because I had met the woman that of my dreams and youth ministry was willing to pay me. Yeah. Um, and what's your major in that Xavier, uh, communications, electronic media. So, um, right. so, so for me, ministry. yeah, yeah. It, it's, you know, it's fine because, um, I meet a couple of youth ministers now who want to go back for uh, further degrees and some of them already have their masters and, and, and so forth. But, uh, they're like, uh, I want to go back for like business or, you know, and I say communications is actually a huge one. Um, yeah. Just especially the courses you take with interpersonal communications and um, public speaking and, and things yeah. along those lines. It's just amazing. Uh, some of the education that I got there, but yeah, I mean um, to have that kind of focus. Um, so at Franciscan, I mean, uh, you shared with us why you, you wanted to go to Franciscan, but what was it about youth ministry in specific, uh, particular that, um, specifically that was drawing you in? Like why yeah. start in youth? Yeah. Um, well, I was really involved at the, at my college campus. I was really involved in high school and ministry. And at the time, I mean, I, I, I didn't have much experience to some of these mega churches or big, or what I would consider larger churches. So the idea of adult ministry just honestly wasn't really even on the radar. The idea of young adult ministry was kind of on the radar. And then there was like religious education. Right. And I knew that I didn't want to go into the grind of like the, the five days a week teaching religious ed. Um, and I did recognize, and I think this is true that at the time youth ministry was um, there were, many more parishes willing to experiment and be more creative around youth ministry. I mean, I say at the time, this wasn't, I mean, this is 2011, um, you know, life teen is really like in full swing. So I, I recognize that in youth ministries, parishes were much more willing to be flexible and implement what I, what I consider a very evangelistic model of ministry. So that was really exciting. And also just my experiences at Franciscan, you know, I, I in, interned as like on a core team and I just really loved youth. I really, I mean, honestly, Chris, like I wanted to be in youth ministry every year of youth ministry. I always thought about my retirement party 25 <laughs> years later. Like I was, that was always in my head. Always my plan is like long-term. I don't want to go to another organization. I don't want to go to a diocesan gig. I want to do this for 25 years, 30 years, uh, long-term mindset at one parish, hopefully God willing. Um, mm. and, and so that was always my plan was like, just to, to impact youth. And then the other thing too, now that I think about it, I had a phenomenal, this sounds weird. I had a phenomenal high school sophomore anatomy and physiology teacher. Okay. 
And it didn't make me want to be a teacher, but the way that week after week, people would come back to her office that she hadn't seen in five, 10, 15 years, and just could tell her things that she had taught them, you know, you know, just loved her, uh, like the way that she was so relational with them uh, and impacted their lives. I don't know. I just, I, I felt that youth is such a formative year or it's such a formative period. And I just, it just kind of felt natural to go into that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I think that that's, that's really good because we see the people who had an impact on us. And I think, you know, that that's what sometimes that's the way I feel like God leads us down our career paths or, or down our vocation in the sense where we see people we admire and whether we intentionally do it or not, right? We want to pick that apart. We want to pick yeah. apart their habits and, and see how they uh, work and function and, and exactly what it is that draws them. Uh, for me, it was a Jesuit at uh, Xavier, uh, Father Al Bischoff, um, and just the way he he would approach every single student um, with the term uh, saint, right? And mm. uh, partly because he couldn't remember their names, but also because he always saw like the goodness in them. And so for me, I was like, I want to be able to approach people, people my age at the time and, and young people, with that same sort of, um, same sort of like uh, demeanor where, you know, you don't have to worry about being judged because yeah. I'm, I'm going to value you as much as possible. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, for those of us in ministry, when we can think about those men and women who model something like that for us um, and we can pursue those habits, that's, that's definitely key. Stuff. Yeah. I think the other thing too is uh, youth ministry was an area to just do whatever. I mean, it's yeah. like the wild west. It was like, I could, whatever I could dream up, if I could dream up a big enough vision for it to support why we were doing it, it was like, let's do whatever. Like let, let's, let's figure out some really creative ways um, to reach people. And so that was really, I mean, that was a huge draw. It was like, we could, we, I mean, yeah, people are willing to take a take a chance on the youth minister doing some crazy retreat where a lot of times all the adults are like, what you want to do? You want to do what? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, so speaking of uh, kind of getting started in youth ministry, I want to go back to an article you wrote in uh, February 2018. Oh, boy. Books, books I wish I read my first year of Catholic youth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that post? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So um, I love the selection of books that you picked there. Um, you know, And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've read or most of them are either on my uh, to read or they are books that I read. The War of Art uh, um, is, is definitely a fantastic read. And, and yeah. so is, uh, The Advantage and Deep Work by Cal Newport. I mean, that's an incredible one. Um, like when you first started in ministry, what was, what, what was some of the advice that you were given? So outside of college, uh, you're, you know, starting out in youth ministry, what was some of the advice that you get that you received that was good and helpful? And then what was some of the advice that you received that you felt like later on, oh, it was misaligned or maybe not uh, the right advice for a new youth minister? Yeah, geez, that's a, that's a fantastic question. The, the big thing, the first three years of ministry, <clears throat> especially in the Midwest in Toledo, mm -hmm. you know, I went to Franciscan where um, I was majoring in theology and catechetics, which was very like theoretical and, and very much on method. And, um, and then suddenly I'm in this environment and I wasn't, I wasn't oblivious to it, but I was, I felt like I was suddenly in this environment where, and, and I'm sure part of me even reflected this, uh, but I was struggling with it internally where I just felt like the model or the stereotype of all youth ministers was like, we're not taken seriously. We wear flannel and flip flops and we're just like the, like the goofy right. guy. Right. And there was something in my heart that just like, I didn't, I didn't want that. You know, I'm reading the church documents on evangelization and on catechetical renewal. And I'm like, you know, the church is going somewhere. Like we're really moving in a direction and this is bigger than just youth ministry. And, and this is bigger than just playing some games and, and hoping that kids have a nice experience um, and look back on it fondly. So one of the best pieces of advice I got was from one of my friends who, uh, my roommate from college, I ended up calling him, I think like two years into youth ministry. And I, I was wrestling with that. I was like, man, like, I, I don't know if this is for me. Cause like everyone I'm around is just not 
taking it as seriously. Maybe I'm too serious. Maybe I'm not the goofy, crazy, irresponsible youth minister. Now that definitely was who I was at the time looking back, but I wasn't, uh, I didn't like that. I didn't want to be that. And I was wrestling with that. And my friend, John, he was like, he was like, look, man, like you can be whatever this sounds so lame now, but he was like, you can be whatever type of youth minister God is calling you to be like, like you just focus on that and don't look left or right. Just focus on what God, the youth minister God's calling you to be. And if you're soaked in scripture, if you're soaked in the church documents and you really have um, this mission and vision on your heart, then like go in that direction, you know, and, and do that. You, and, and that was huge for me. I feel like uh, if I was talking to young youth ministers, I would want to say that like, there might be some disconnects as you look around the room when you're at a diocesan youth retreat or um, there might be disparity of age or experience or methods or approaches. And, um, I think like if, if someone had kind of taken me by the shirt collar a little bit sooner and said, look like, you know, don't get caught up in comparing, don't get caught up in, um, thinking that you have to be a certain way. Mm. Um, and then, so that was really good advice. I think really early on, um, bad advice. I try not to remember bad advice. So I don't know that I can remember like someone directly giving me bad advice, but I will say this, like, and this is something I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize how much, and, and I struggled with this a lot the first couple of years of ministry. I didn't know, realize how much uh, pressure I put on myself to be this, this term of like relational ministry to be very mm-hmm. relational. It's something a lot of youth ministers talk about. We talk yeah. about it's so important being present with people. Jesus was present with people, but I put so much pressure on myself. I was constantly judging myself on how present to teens I was being. And it wasn't until much, much later that I got more comfortable with this idea of delegating to a team of youth ministers instead of being the only youth minister. Um, so I don't know how you've kind of dealt with that, but I really, the first four years, I think I was, I was either putting too much pressure on myself and therefore not doing as much as I should, or I don't know, just not communicating enough to my coworkers and the people around me, uh, what it was that I was really trying to do. Yeah. Well, before I give you my thoughts, where do you feel like you like heard that, that you had to be relational in sense of like present to the teens 24 seven, where do you feel like that came from in your life? I think at Franciscan and I think, in my exposure to like ministries like net or focus or some of these other, I mean, I read contemplative youth ministry really early on. Like, I mean, I just, it was something that I was picking up, not probably not super explicitly. And, but then also in the church documents, right? Like modern man, listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers, that kind of stuff. So I think it was just kind of in the lingo and then seeing people do it really well, seeing people just like, and, and a lot of the people I look up to any Hickman and, and um, Gomer and all these other youth ministers, Bob Rice, who would talk about the value of like, you just need to know people, just you need to pour into people. Um, So I think like early on, I had a hard time balancing the vision and team development with the relational ministry. And I actually, I replaced a youth minister who was highly, I mean, he was always in the cafeteria. He was always Mm. in the classrooms. He was so ultra relational. Uh, and then, you know, there's other, my, Father Mike Scanlon, all these other people who are wonderful images, it looks like from the outside of just constantly in relational mode. So, yeah, I think those are kind of the origins where like, I was putting so much pressure on my, I mean, it's still to this day, it's this like thing in the back of my mind where I feel guilty and like, ah, oh, man, I should be, I should be among the people more. And, and even when I do it in the middle of me doing it, I'm like, I'm not doing it well enough. Like no one's crying, no one's pouring their heart out. Like, uh, no one's inviting me to their birthday party. Like I'm not doing it well enough. Like, it ha- you know, I must do it better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because, um, I definitely went through that myself, right. Um, where there was part of me who I, I needed to go to every soccer game. I needed to be at every, um, event for the youth. And, uh, the things that kind of held me back from doing that, um, or getting lost in that was one, um, my wife who was just dating at the time, she lived in DC. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, driving from Baltimore to DC, 
granted they're close, but it was either spend time hanging out with teenagers on the weekend or spend time hanging out with this woman that I knew I wanted to marry. So, um, (laughs) which on paper, you know, wouldn't have made me a great youth minister. In fact, I remember after my uh, first year of youth ministry, um, the middle school program was growing so much that um, Father White uh, and Tom Corcoran had approached me about duplicating the program, having a middle school program on Sunday and Saturday nights. And I said no to them. I said no because I, I was like I have this great relationship going on, and I just I just don't see it working out if I have to do ministry on Saturdays, and so that's just not important to me. Yeah. And they respected that, and uh, thank God they did. Um, and so for me, uh, so that was part of it. Also, in relation to my wife, uh, she grew up as the daughter of a high school principal of her high school principal, and. Um, you know, just hearing the stories about boundaries between family and home life and uh, how to just talking to him a lot and learning how he was present as a principal, but also able to create these boundaries mm. um, for me was huge. And then uh, for uh, the third, third thing I would say is uh, having a great role model like Doug Fields, uh, author of Purpose Driven Youth Ministry. Um, I was able to meet him early on and um just hear him talk about how ministry was a part of his life. And one of the big takeaways from that was he told a story or he was, he was actually just saying like how important volunteers are. And he used this like um, this story to kind of describe where he walks into a restaurant and there's uh, three booths. And at one booth is a group of teenagers. Another booth is a group of parents. And the third group is a, a group of his volunteers. And walking into uh, that restaurant, he would go over to the teens first and say, hey, how's it going? And then walk over to the parents and, and, and ask them the same thing. But then he would sit down, break bread, and share a meal and spend the majority of his time with his volunteers because without the volunteers, he couldn't do what God was calling him to do. And there was something about that that struck me. And I, I was fortunate to hear this early on, but struck me as that's what ministry is about. Yeah, You know, you think about Jesus, um, you know, uh, uh, being accessible and available to everyone, but he did that through his disciples, you know, he, uh, but there are situations where he sits down with Martha and Mary and and Lazarus and he, you know, uh, meets the woman at the well and these personal encounters. And so as a leader, you know, I think we have to recognize that we need a team to help us reach the masses. And that will then give us opportunity for these intimate, um, authentic encounters with students and parents and other adults because, um, because uh, God has uh, given us the people to, to, to do all the other things, right? And, and I think that's where we need to get as leaders and not just in youth ministry, but pastoral ministry. Um, and so for me, uh, you'll see me interacting with teenagers, um, but it's a select group of teenagers and not necessarily my favorites, but just teens that are in certain capacities of ministry. But that's where I've invested also in my volunteers. You'll see me with a lot more volunteers because they're in the trenches. They're at the front line of the battle um, interacting with teens. And if a teen doesn't know who I am, but they have a small group leader or they have um, a confirmation mentor, uh, that they know well and the parents know well, then then that's just as much of a win, you know? Yeah, so That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say uh, what ended up happening, you know, just like three or four years ago was I came across Andy Stanley's leadership podcast mm-hmm. and uh, there's this amazing episode where he, he the line um, only do what only you can do. Right. Yeah. Oh man. And we just, that just started shifting everything for me. And we started talking as a department, like, what is it that only we can do? Because most of our job, a volunteer could do it better. Like, and I really thought I was, I thought I was the only one that could give a talk or I thought that I was the only one that could write the curriculum or I thought I was the only one that could do relational ministry. And so we started really like trying to pick apart and it was this kind of really month of deconstruction of everything we're doing. Like, what is it that only we can do? Um, and that really helped. That really helped bring a lot of consolation to like, okay, yeah, like these are the areas I need to focus on the most while still putting in the work of, of becoming an expert. Um, right. so, yeah. So, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, uh, but more so in, uh, 
what only you can do, but it seems like you do a lot, right? Because yeah. you started out as this youth minister. Now you're the director of evangelization and catechesis, but you've got all these, um, I, I, I don't like, I, you know, it's funny. I was talking to someone today about the term life hacks and I'm like, you know, I don't, or um, side hustle, sorry. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of that term anymore, but it's, mm. it's more of like you're expanding your brand, right? And yeah. um, expanding your brand in the sense of you've got this podcast, the show, mm -hmm. uh, you've been a part of things like Catholic creatives, you've been a part of the reverb culture and everything. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, um, and, and before we hit record, you talked about how you're uh, in the process of, uh, you know, even writing a book. And, and uh, so talk a little bit about this desire to create beyond just the usual ministry um, jobs. Where did that come from or how did that start? Well, Chris, like a lot of white males in America and middle class, I was hugged too much and told that I could do whatever I, I set my heart out to accomplish. So like an unfounded sense of self-importance, I think is really at the root of all of this, probably pride and uh, something like that. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's sometimes it's a blessing and sometimes it's probably my weakness. Like I'm, I'm very vision, I'm very vision driven. Um, I'm very like big picture vision. I'm excited about the possibility of something that doesn't exist yet. And then pushing people towards that. And I've realized, especially over the last two years that that's, that's my pocket to sit in is like coming up with the vision, helping drive a team towards that vision. Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not as good at, um, at carrying that out over the long term. Um, because then I need to get into another problem somewhere and figure out a new way to solve it. And so I don't know, man, like, uh, at the beginning, I think back in like 2011, you know, we were talking about, we're both fans of Tim Ferriss and just this idea of creating stuff. It's, and it definitely became like a really good creative outlet. And at first, a lot of it was about youth ministry, but then it was like, man, I'm coming home and I'm working again. So I don't know. And I just didn't feel like, I felt like there was plenty of other people that were doing it way better. So it just turned into this way of kind of, honing my skills that also helped me in youth ministry. So like videography and YouTube and podcasting and email marketing and all of these things that um, it, it, it translated to youth ministry, but it was, it was, um, it was different enough that I didn't feel like I was um, going home to more work. Yeah. So I've kind of always, I don't know. I've kind of always ever, I mean, yeah, ever since college, like just really enjoyed all of that kind of stuff. What was the question? Was there a question in there? Yeah, yeah, there, there was, but I, I was totally enjoying what you're saying, uh, even though you're being a little critical uh, on yourself. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the question was, uh, how did this uh, uh, creative um, sort of desire, this desire to uh, start the show and, and some of these other projects really begin? And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah a, lot of, a lot of it too is just like, I love, I mean, I love entertaining. I love talking with people. I love people. I love, yeah, like just like uh, making things. I also, also, <laughs> I have also realized that I thrive in low expectation environments. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like if, if uh, like for instance, like the Catholic creatives Instagram account, one time they were like, Hey, you should take over the account for a day. And I was like, okay, well like, what does that entail? And they're like, I don't know. People just use their phone and just like, you know, videotape their day. And I was like, all right, low expectation. Right. I know how to like blow this out of the water. And for like 20 hours straight, I used drone footage. I was like, you know, setting up, I mean, Casey Neistat vlogging the whole day. Like I just went over the top and it was so fun to just like, you know, blow it out of the water, you know, in the way that I wanted to. So I think, um, I think there's probably been a lot of that. So nothing super virtuous, although mm. very um, enjoyable. Oh, the other part too is that, at least when I was in college and I told my parents I was going to go from biomedical engineering to youth ministry, my parents were like, you do realize that you will be poor for the rest of your life. <laughs> and I was like, my Protestant girlfriend is okay with that. So right, right. Like, praise God. Right. So I, I was under the impression um, that youth ministry meant I would get paid probably a part-time salary if ever. Uh, I remember at one point talking about how some people were getting their masters at Franciscan and then going on to youth ministry. And my dad was like, you would be highly overqualified. Like no one would hire you. So the idea of like bigger parishes and Texas ministry and, and, and parishes that are actually trying to support 
youth minister so they can do it in the long term was just so foreign to me. So I, I kind of had this like sense, like I got to figure something out. Right. Uh, maybe there's something I can make that would be helpful for people. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the way I see it is youth ministry that you're, they, uh, it's almost kind of like uh, research and development, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, with Marathon Youth Ministry, when it started as a blog, it was just a way of me hashing out what I was thinking about, what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And over time, um, it started to develop into something more. And But I would then take some of these ideas and test them out in ministry yeah. um, and then go back and write about them. And then yeah. um, people would comment on them and I would take that and experiment some more, right? And so, and that's the same thing with now uh, the company and, and with podcasting and, and coaching and everything is um, to make the uh, youth ministry at the church that I'm leading better. Um, mm-hmm. I need, I see marathon as this creative outlet and, and, and something that I need. And in order to make marathon better, um, I need the local parish setting so that I can continue to test these things out as well. Oh yeah. 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 hundred uh, percent. I think a lot of us too, uh, the people who end up doing this type of stuff, doing your own thing or whatever, a lot of times um, we're not as good at taking a program and just running with it. There's always that oh, yeah. 10 to 20% where you're like, that's not how I would do it. And then we end up just like, all right, fine. I'll make my own website. I'll do my own thing. Right. Like, or right. just I'll write a blog and tell everyone like, you know, this is how yeah. we should and then we're just not organized enough to monetize it. And <laughs> yeah. we're like, Oh, like they came up with that company and like I was doing that. Just didn't take the time. To- yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, tough. Um, you know, it was interesting uh, as you were sharing uh, again, uh, your transition into ministry and then uh, even the transition from youth ministry into your current role. Um, it, it made me wonder about the, just really the question that comes to mind is have we as a church really defined what youth ministry is supposed to look like, or is it still the wild, wild West? And uh, I'd be curious as to your thoughts there. Yeah, man, this is a good question. I heard, I think it was Dan. I heard one of your other guests and you talking about this a little bit. I think oh, yeah. it's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. You, you're probably way more experienced and plugged in to answer this question, especially as we were talking about before we recorded, you're really plugged into the the Protestant circles. And I think um, a lot of the, our Protestant brothers and sisters are way ahead of us on a lot of those fronts. Um, I do think though, we're seeing more and more people come into youth ministry and maybe I'm biased towards Franciscan, but I even think other organizations and other people are coming into this, by way of divine renovation or amazing parish or Sherry Waddell's, you know, yeah. book. Um, I do think we're seeing more and more people have a broader framework for what, where youth ministry fits in the parish, because really I think at the heart of what is youth ministry is this question of like, what is the parish and what is the parish's role? Yeah. But if you look at those books, or you look at those companies, they really don't talk about youth ministry that much. No, they don't. I guess my point, my point I think is, yeah, I, I, if I had to answer yes or no, like, have we defined it yet? I don't think we really have yet. Yeah. I do see some hope in the fact that people are at least having the broader conversation and it's not just about youth ministry. Right. Uh, I think more and more people are at least having a more nuanced discussion of where youth ministry would fit in the broader question, which is like, what is a parish and what should a parish be doing? And I think right. a lot of different youth ministers I've met that have had different um, ideas of youth ministry, it really came down to like, what actually is the mission of the church? Is it just to be a community center? Is it just to be a social club? Is it just to be a place where Catholics get connect with other Catholics? Um, so I, I, yeah, that's the only thing I can contribute is that I get the sense that we're at least moving in the direction of having the broader conversations of like, what is even a parish supposed to be? Hmm. Yeah. But, but tell me what you think. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because you mentioned the Protestants and, and um, uh, in evangelical ministry, I think they're starting to f- face some of the same things that we are. Um, Cause it's not like the numbers are increasing there and decreasing just in the Catholic church. It's yeah. across the board, but um and there are different things in their paradigm, like uh, um, many of them, uh, their youth 
what we would deem as their youth programs are actually their weekend worship. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so for us, uh, I think it, to, to model after uh, Protestant churches, it can be challenging in that regards. I'm starting to see youth ministry, or at least the role of a youth minister, um, as more of an advocacy role uh, mm-hmm. than I do a program director role. I used to actually uh, tell parishes, when you're looking for a youth minister and you want to figure out what the salary is, look at a nonprofit that, uh, where someone's a pro- program director or a project coordinator. And more and more, I'm starting to realize that, um, you know, as youth ministers, while we need to create an intentional ministry model and uh, figure out intentional discipleship for uh, young people, it's also about uh, figuring out how we're going to invest in them as leaders in not just the mm-hmm. local church, but in the community. Um, and also how to equip other men and women in the parish to be intergenerationally mind- minded, meaning... Yeah. Uh, how are you going to invest in young people and how are you going to let young people invest in you? And that, yeah. that latter yeah. part is, is something that a lot of us miss. And uh, yeah, it's how are you letting young people invest in you? Um, and I think those are the, those are two primary focuses of a youth minister and how that looks in a ministry setting. Um, that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at right now. Um, I still think there's always room for small group programs uh, there's always room for large corporate worship, you know, in youth ministry. But in regards to the fabric and the uh, the 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 source uh, or the true um, essence—that's the word I'm thinking of—the true essence of a youth minister, it's it's advocacy and yeah. uh, and leader development. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Like, uh, for some reason, I've been using the whole director thing just because of what it means to me. Like, my first. I think my first year of youth ministry, um, I quit as a youth minister in front of all the parents. Like I had my first info meeting. I said, and the, everyone was pissed because the previous youth minister had quit after a year and a half or two years. So everyone was like, and I just said in front of all these parents, like I've quit as a youth minister effective today. And everyone was like about to throw their <laughs> shoe over. And I was like, fortunately, uh, the pastor has hired me back on as the director of youth ministry. And then I asked, I said, how many of you come in contact with a youth at our parish that's not your own on a weekly basis? And like, I mean, 70% of the hands went up. And I was like, how many of you come in contact? Like, how many of you have kids? I mean, everyone's hands were going up. How many of you are in a group where you interact with? How many of you see teens on Sunday? And, every, you know, everyone's hands were up. And I said, well, like, in some capacity, you're doing youth ministry. If by that we mean the ministry the church does to youth. Mm-hmm. If you're part of this church, then yeah, then you're doing youth ministry. So yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. Like I, I really think, um, you know, what the Boy Scouts are doing at your parish, what the Knights of Columbus are doing at your parish, all of it's youth ministry. Yeah. Um, and I guess I probably made a mistake by, you know, and this is one of my pet peeves, so I'm frustrated with myself that I did it, but, you know, painting with a broad brush with the word Protestant, mm-hmm. and I guess I should be specific. What I mean is like, I'm, I really admire churches, whether they're effective in it or not, but I admire churches that have a very clear vision and mission for why they exist. Yes. And ministry fits in it and is consistent with the pair, like, like, like it or, you know, love it or hate it. We had a, we had a church plant in Toledo and everyone was pissed off because they were all about the Mountain Dew and like right. you know, free Mountain Dew at every service and you can bring coffee and the thing. But they were really clear. We're trying to bring non-church people to church. And their youth ministry was, we're trying to bring non-church kids to church. Like, mm-hmm. um, So I guess in that sense, like, it used to seem like the Wild West more to me in 2011 when I felt like there, were hard, there weren't a lot of people talking about the larger framework. There weren't a lot of people higher up talking right. about it. And there, weren't, there wasn't a lot of resources and support for pastors to have a clear vision for their parish other than we're a dynamic Catholic community where Catholics live their faith, you know? Oh um, man. Yeah. Don't get me started on that term, but, yeah. Yeah. but I'm a, but I, you know, I'm a vision person. So I've always mm. been restless with that. I've always wanted like top to bottom, clear, compelling vision. Yeah. Well, and, and so let's let, one of the things I love about your new position as director of evangelization and catechesis is it's bringing together all those different facets of, of formation and catechesis uh, from kids, right. All the way to adults. And yeah. I know you spend more of your time with adults. Uh, what are some of the things that you do to bring that unity amongst your team? Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of us probably, and like, you know, like yourself, like I'm reading all the church documents, I'm reading all these books. I'm trying to piece this all together, piecing it from all these different places. And one of the things 
in college that then was reaffirmed in some of these other books was this idea that the catechumenal model, that there's a process, RCIA, like right. we always hear RCIA candidates get the best treatment because they, they go from zero to a hundred instead of assuming they, they already right. know Jesus. So the catechumenal model as um, the foundation for how we could do catechesis and evangelization to youth or to adults or whatever was really fascinating. And so then along those lines came this idea of we need to communicate a very clear path of discipleship that um, gives enough room for people to say, yeah, well, like God, God works in mysterious ways and is not always in a step one, step two, step three process, but at least communicating to people that you're not weird. If you're coming to mass, if you've been coming to mass for 20 years and you're not sure if God exists. Right. And, and you don't feel weird when you go to a class on medieval liturgical, you know, reform or something and, and don't feel inspired or don't feel connected to God, that you're not right. weird, that there's a process, that there's, there are steps you can take and that we've really reached peak Catholic resource. Yeah. And I think we're really at a point where we don't need more programs and resources. We just need people who can help other people make intentional decisions about what they need. And so for us, we've, you know, we, I'm beating everyone over the head with this idea of a clear path to discipleship. We want everyone in Grapevine to encounter, grow, and serve. We want them to encounter nice. Jesus Christ, grow as disciples, and serve him in ministry and mission. And that's kind of like the three stages. It's the way, it's just a simplified version of the catechumenal model. It's the way we evaluate all of our ministries. It's the way we're training ministry heads. It's the way our my youth ministries have always been modeled. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying like, what's the one program? It's like, what are the programs that need to meet all the needs? And it's very purpose-driven youth ministry. We read purpose-driven youth ministry in college and it was yeah. like, yes, like this is, this is great. Well, and, but yeah. And like how many times do we, we find the content first, right. And we try yeah. to fit the, we try to fit the vision in that box. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and really it's, uh, I was, I, I think I was writing about this the other day where it's create the vision um, create the ultimate outcome that you want. And then there will be content and curriculum, things you can pick and choose from. The, the beauty of our Catholic faith being, you know, over 2000 years old is just, just there are things to pick and choose from yeah. where you can um, uh, develop a more comprehensive uh, path uh, for people. And, and um, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's sometimes bewilder me, uh, it blows my mind, bewilders me, like how, we get stuck. We get so narrow focused, right? It's almost like um, Plato's cave, you know, where we're afraid to afraid to do something different because of what might lie on the other side if we break the mold or something like that. So oh, yeah. let's see. Um, what 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 are some of the things that you're doing to help uh, your volunteers to help your teams um, embrace the vision uh, that you have uh, at your parish? Oh man, the biggest thing is just kind of talking about it a lot. I mean, also programs like Alpha and Discover Christ, we're, we're running Discovering Christ. Um, I think when you start giving them an experience of the simple message of the gospel, I think when you also start explaining, like you just, like, like we just did, like what's the difference between, you know, like what would you teach someone first? What would you, you know, we did this, we do this a lot. I think this is really helpful. I tell like this fictitious story of like a woman named Susan and she comes to our parish. She was Catholic when she was younger. She's been far away from the, so a nun, basically I tell the story of a nun and I'm like, imagine Susan's experience. She opens up, she's looking around at mass. That's the one thing she comes to. And she's like, there's this hunger for more. She doesn't know where to start. She opens up the bulletin. There's a million different things she could do. Mm She sees people involved and she thinks maybe I should serve. Maybe that would, and she tries one of these things and maybe she gets in the right thing, but maybe she ends up going to a class that's just walking through classic literature and drawing out the Christ themes. That's not great for someone who doesn't know if God exists. Right. Um, Or maybe she gets involved in the pro-life group as great as that is, and it should exist. Or maybe she gets involved in, the rosary group, or maybe she thinks, well, people are lecturing and ushering and they seem fulfilled. So she gets involved. She thinks I need to do Mm -hmm. something. And after a year or two, she's just like, you know what? Like this whole, I've tried this Christianity thing. It hasn't really worked out. Um, 
So then when you start kind of like unpacking scripture a little bit with people and tell, and talking about the way Jesus went slowly and in stages, when you talk about some of these catechetical principles, like, you know, the faith is systematic, the faith needs to be presented systematically. Uh, there's a difference between liturgical vestments and the doctrine of the Annunciation. Like there's a difference. And most people don't know that they just don't, they don't know that when you start talking about those types of things, um, people really, people really start getting it. Hey, right. Do you have time to tell one more story? Oh, you got plenty of time. Okay. So one of the most eye-opening ways that I found to do this was um, I got really frustrated because I'm trying to build this path of discipleship for adults. And I thought I was being really clear with everyone, like what the, what the point of this is. And one of the first onboarding events is this, what we created instead of the newcomer dinner, it's the start here dinner. Okay. And we're we're trying to market. I mean, it's just a dinner with the pastor and myself and we're kind of talking about the parish and the mission pitching the path of discipleship. Um, And uh, I got really frustrated because at, I don't know, like our first start your dinner, the very thing I didn't want to happen happened, which is normally if there's any new parishioners, we just, we pummel them with a million different ways they can get involved. Right. And I'm just like, look, like, we don't even know that most of these people are Catholic, like we, let alone that they right. are at a place where they could be serving. So um, this guy stood up and in the middle of the start here dinner, we're all supposed to be just in- introducing ourselves. And he just makes this big pitch for the Knights of Columbus. Uh, yeah. And I was like, no, like this is the last thing I want. Like for someone who's struggling with their faith or someone who's not sure, like this last thing I want. Um, so anyways, I, I don't know, out of some type of weird inspiration or analogy or something, I took, I took, a, <laughs> I took like this uh, package of raw sausage out of our parish kitchen and I grabbed a bunch of uh, like kindling, like little sticks. And then I grabbed this huge log and I brought it to my staff meeting and you know, our whole staff is around and there's this big long table. And in the middle I put the kindling, I put, this huge log and then I put the sausage and I kind of talked about encounter, grow, serve. And I talked about how, you know, what's the difference between a saint and, and other people is that they have this spark of God. Like they have, they've been inspired. They've been changed. They know Jesus Christ. It's this personal relationship. It makes everything else come alive. And I said, the problem is we have this rich tradition of catechesis. It's this huge log and without, without the Holy spirit, without, a personal relationship and faith in God. It's like, you know, maybe someone has a little spark, but they don't have any kindling. So you just take this huge log and you just throw it on it and it just smothers it. And I said, even worse than that is people showing up with my events because eventually if you get the personal relationship with Jesus, the Holy spirit, if you slowly build up the catechesis and the Christian community, suddenly you have a Christian who's so ready to go out and serve other Christians or the world on mission. And that's when something you're able to then do something with the fire, the fuel, and um, you know, that the heat generated from that, that's when you can cook something. That's when you can produce something. That's when you can. I said, again, the worst possible thing is maybe some of these people have a little spark. Maybe they don't. And everyone's standing around with raw meat in their hand, just like chucking it at this little tiny ember, just like cook me sausage cook me a hamburger. Like, you know, it just, it's ridiculous. So everyone, everyone, maybe, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but to me, this is how it was. Like, no, this is awesome. This is everyone, awesome. Everyone, all my staff members for the first time, I've been at this parish for five years for the first time, even my business manager, the liturgist, people who normally did not care about evangelization. were like using the analogy and saying, we need to explain this to all, to all our volunteers or other people were like, manipulating the analogy on the table and we're like, well, here's how it was, it was done with me or here's how it's done in Catholic schools or here's, and, and it was just, I mean, it was a huge moment. And so I'm going to try to, I don't, (laughs) I don't know that I'm, I feel comfortable enough to maybe do that all the time, but it was a really huge moment for the whole staff to see like, yes, we got to do this in stages. And if we do it in stages and we're intentional about it, um, then we're going to, then, then two years down the line, I'm going to have the best volunteers and we're not just going to have volunteers that are kind of unsure about whether or not they want to do this or in and out. They're flaky. We're going to have people that are on fire. They're coming up with ideas we haven't even thought of because they yeah. love Jesus and they love people. Yeah. 
So when you go speak now, do you bring along uh, a log raw, and raw sausage? And raw sausage, yeah. <laughs> no, it's on my rider. I put it's it on my on, rider. It's on your rider list, yeah. No, I was like, uh, I, I want on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I yeah. haven't. I mean, that was just kind of like a. Yeah, that was. I, I, I'm I'm scared that the magic of that would not happen again if I did it. If I tried. Well, to right, right. I mean, you know, there's only so many times you can. Uh, I mean, you can tell that story repeatedly, but there's only so many times you can act it out. But like, that, it's such a great moment of the Holy Spirit just burning through you to be like, all right, this needs to click with our teams. And there is nothing better than when you see other people get it, right? Yeah. Uh, and because it just means there are more people coming to the party. There are more people um, uh, just willing to to contribute in the ways that, that matter most. And um, I, I love uh, that idea of just how we overwhelm people, um, overwhelm people who are searching for God with, with so much. And, and, and I feel bad telling people like, hey, I know your heart's in the right place. I know you so much want people to understand the truth that, that you understand, but th- there's just, they're, they're, they're just not ready for it. I mean, the analogy that comes to mind, and it's a little cliche is, you know, if someone's dehydrated or someone's you know, thirsty, you don't hook them up to a fire hydrant, you tell them <laughs> yeah. to sip water, uh, yeah. you tell them to sip water. And, um, and so, so many times we hook people up to fire hydrants, especially kids and teenagers, right? Yeah. But we, for some reason, believe that we only are going to have these people for 18 years of their life. And uh, that um, after that, um, or even less, if, depending on when you have confirmation, and we have to get it all in in that in that time frame when it's a lifelong process for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, dude, it's it it's becoming the new Catholic. Um, what's the word? Like the new um, what is what is that phrase of like the new cultural Catholic? Like the mm-hmm. new cultural Catholic is like. I've been doing the salvation history Bible timeline for 10 years. Like the new culture Catholic is like, I'm better than other Catholics. Like I usher and I lecture and I'm in a Bible study and I listen to catching foxes. So like, (laughs) come on, like what's the, you know, so, so um, I think that's really what's missing in a lot of this is like, we have to explain and articulate the journey. I mean, in other books, if you really get deep into the theology, other books that have talked about this, it's, um, it's the it's the uh, the interior castle, or it's like uh, mm-hmm. Saint Francis de Sales' true devotion. I mean, yeah. it's the process of the interior life. It's it there. It's there. It it used to be there uh, much more clearly, but we ha- we've never, you know, like all the books. So I'm probably boring people, but like I mean, we've never been in a post Christian environment like this as strongly as we as we've been. Yeah. yeah. So that requires a very different approach to presenting. To presenting the gospel to people and, and um, belief, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. All right. So I feel like I, uh, we could be going on for hours um, on this kind of stuff, but I'm going to give you a couple of uh, questions that I ask okay. some of my other guests. So um, get ready for this. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll start with off with something that you just were kind of talking about reading. What What's something that you're currently reading or listening to that you think everyone um, in ministry should be reading or listening to shoot um i mean the andy stanley leadership podcast has been that was really amazing like there's some really gold episodes uh at the beginning of that okay um man dude i don't know like um i'm trying to think of things that people wouldn't already kind of know about i mean divine renovation was a huge one for me okay purpose-driven youth ministry um I don't know, man. Like a lot of, I, I feel like I've gotten pretty saturated in a lot of the the ministry resources. <laughs> okay, how about outside of? Yeah, I, um, uh, this sounds super weird, but I read this book recently called "Built to Sell." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Have you read this book? Um, is it? Oh no, no, no. I'm thinking "To Sell as Human" by Daniel H. Pink. Oh no, no, uh, no. Built Built to Sell um, is a fantastic book. Um, anyways, it's just on like building a company in a way that you could sell it. And while I'm not trying to sell a company for $5 million, the organizational principles, I'm realizing that I need to get better at delegating and managing mm-hmm. teams and systems and stuff. So that's really huge. What else do I got over here? I got my whole book of, uh, I highly recommend people, and I, I revisit this often, but the book Boundaries 
um, mm, yeah. one, especially in ministry. And then finally, I think um, everyone absolutely should go buy the book right now, The Advantage by Pat Lencioni. And even if you don't have people working under you or you don't yeah. have regular team meetings, you should just start treating yourself and your job as you're the director of youth ministry. And so I think that book made us so much more efficient as a department. It made me understand a lot better how to interact with my boss um, yeah. and other coworkers. That was really huge. Well, and you use it with your volunteers. I mean, there's ways. Yeah, that yeah that's true. Principles yeah. With your volunteers as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Uh, those are, are, are excellent. Really good. All right. So, um, so one question that I like uh, to ask people is if you were given one superpower that you could use for ministry, um, what would that superpower be? Shoot, dude, that's a good one. A ministry that I, or a superpower that I could use for ministry. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, dang dude. I mean, the things I'm thinking about immediately just all have to do with getting myself more time somehow. Okay. All right. No, but that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe like the super speed or like, I would want to like, yeah, I would just want to get more done. That sounds like not, if I was praying more, I probably wouldn't think that it'd probably be like, I'd probably come up with a more, um, yeah, a less, a less, uh, American productivity minded. <laughs> it's funny. Um, Kristen Fisher, who is one of my guests, she works, uh, for an organization, uh, youth in Christ. And, uh, she said, she, which she works with middle school students mainly. She said, I would, um, my superpower would be to deodorize middle school kids, <laughs> boys. And I was like, Oh, I was like, you cannot get that. That I think that's so far like the best superpower I, I've yeah, heard. Yeah, that's amazing. That's just, the best. Yeah, amazing. I would do that. I would do that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm almost thinking there should be like some kind of product that we create. Maybe it's connecting with the Tony Vicinda with Catholic Beard Bomb and saying like, oh, yes. Let's create a spray for middle school students. So, yeah, uh, puberty yeah. bomb. Yeah, right. There you go. You there you go. Shirts there. Yeah, yeah. Um, We'll call it like the Timothy spray or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that's not right, but, uh, yeah. um, but yeah, so, uh, excellent. Excellent. Um, all right. So, uh, last question is, uh, what are you, uh, what, what is something that you are really, um, excited about and you are really, um, pumped about in regards to ministry that you feel like not enough people know about it yet? Uh, Man, like youth ministry in particular? It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the huge umbrella of ministry so you can go with it wherever you want. That not enough people know about it yet. Um, you know, I don't know if this answers the question the way you would want to, but I wish that every parish would think about hiring either a full either hiring a full-time communications director hmm. or uh and maybe i'm just um partial to this but um would just start a weekly video podcast yeah um, i think yeah i think there's huge potential for parishes to communicate outside their i mean the the beauty of social media and the internet but also as a way to just like talk with your staff in a way that gets them excited about talking about their job and in a way that like, as a pastor, you get to have conversations with your staff that you might not ever have. Like, like, let's just talk about, you know, why you work at a parish. Let's talk like uh, this whole format and model. I think more parishes should really, even if it's not done well, I would love to hear my home parish just kind of like do their version of that. Um, obviously like it could be done poorly, but I don't know. I just think, um, I don't know. That's the first thing that kind of comes to mind, probably because I'm working on starting one for our parish, but yeah, I think more people should take that seriously. Cause I think, um, man, it, it, it could be so easy. It could just be an hour a week or it could be four hours a summer, uh, to do four episodes or something. You know what I mean? Like it's right. so huge. Yeah. Even if it's just a, a, a even a Facebook live commitment. Oh yeah. 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 I, I think, yeah, that's a uh, director of communications uh, and social media. And, um, and I, I love the idea of parishes 
trying to start either a Facebook Live or a YouTube channel or something along those lines. I know Facebook is really getting into the groups. They're pouring into that whole aspect and and yeah. churches investing some money into that um, and time into that, I think would be huge. Because oh, then here's, was, a, here's yeah. another thing. I don't know if you, do you know about Church Media Squad? I, I've heard the name before. I've heard the name before, but yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a huge expense. It's like $500 a month, but it's like unlimited graphic design. And I was yeah. like, when I finally saw that, I was like, and it was like pretty good graphic design. I was like, crap. Like, this is the thing I've been telling myself only I can do. <laughs> and now like, I would just completely remove it from my plate, which ended up, if I'm honest, becoming a lot of time, you know, just like doing all the, and then when I noticed my employees, like my, my employees, my coworkers also doing tons of design, I was like, oh man, I've created a monster. Like I've set the expectation that everyone has to have really well done posters. Yeah. Uh, when that's like, that's not bringing people closer to Jesus. It just makes us look attractive. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. But um, no, I, I, I like, um, I, I think there, but there's quality in that. There's quality in that for sure. Um, well, cool. Yeah, I think it's important. It's better than clip art. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's face it. Some, there is some bad art there that does turn people away. So, yeah. at least, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's finding that happy medium, right? Of not uh, doing too much, but uh, yeah. yeah, but cool. Well, hey, this has been awesome. Um, really enjoy it. We'll, we'll have to do this again some other time. Um, and uh, uh, just thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on here.